89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. And joining me is the author of the new book, Driven, Bill Sutcliffe. Uh, This is one of the more remarkable books I've had the privilege of reading. And I am so thrilled to be able to chat to Bill about his life story as as well. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Clayton. Look, I'm... I'm really pleased to be here as well, I must tell you. Yeah. Bill, I, I think um, it would be completely reasonable to say that you have led one of the tougher lives of many people that I've even interviewed on this program, and I've interviewed a fair few of them. Um, is that how you look at your life before we start talking about it? Well, true. On one side, I've done other. On the other side, just so privileged. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk a bit, and I suppose we want to start actually as well, that uh, we know that, you know, as a rule, as we, we play this in this time slot, we're, we're pretty comfortable that it's normally adults listening, but we are going to talk about some various things around abuse and, and even sexual abuse um, in this following little while. So if just a little ears warning as we do go forward um, before we have some conversations too. Uh, Bill, let's go back to uh, your childhood, um, and we are going to then end up by talking about, just for everyone, um, some an incredible ultramarathon athlete, as well as a man who I would describe as an ultramarathon giver into people's lives, which is how I would describe you as well on both fronts. So we're going to get to that. That's where we're going to land. But uh, take us through a little bit of your uh, pretty rough upbringing, um, especially as it came um, to male figures in your life. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Indeed. Yes, it was a rough start. My father was a violent alcoholic. And when I was still in a high chair, so I don't remember anything about it, but nevertheless, he, in the days of six o'clock hotel closing, he once too often uh, came home late and mum had once again uh, kept his dinner for him and got sick and tired of it and he had been kicked out of the pub at six o'clock and went, went to a mate from there and drank on and came home quite intoxicated. Um, mum had thrown his meal out and realising that he got quite angry picked up a knife and threw it at her mm. and hit me instead hence I have been Clayton a one-eyed long supporter ever since <laughs> <laughs> quite literally <laughs> quite literally <laughs> but I mean we, we you know laugh now but I mean that is a remarkable trauma for a two year old to have a, a knife that was intended for their, their mum in your eye you lost your eye um, and and I mean, that's I suppose a, a microcosm of of the 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 life that happened for you over the next. Would it be fair to say probably ten years as well, where there was often drinking around, there was often a lot of violence around, there was often a lot of abuse that was occurring, um, and sexual from those predators people. hanging around. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, was this something that was happening daily? Was this something that was weekly? What was it? In that more regard? more weekends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and all alcohol-induced as a rule? Yes. Yeah. Um, as you go through that time and you reflect on it even now, what are the emotions that come up as you think about those times? Well, look, I don't say I've been fortunate lightly because I've been a bit different. I've been 55 years in the welfare and spiritual field, uh, counselling street people and, and prisoners and and special education students, many of whom came from backgrounds like mine. And whilst we speak of triggers in trauma that keep, uh, in early years certainly, keep happening, 
they were constant, have been constant for me in counselling, you know, for the last 55 years plus. Mm. So have not been able to avoid them, uh, but have been able to, by the grace of God, uh, go through them and encourage others to, to try and realise that, in fact, sometimes our worst experiences can be our best qualifications yeah. in assisting others who are, who are going through the same things. Yeah. And you've found that in terms of as you've gone and done some of your work that you've been able to just, I mean, as I've read the book, I know it's true, so I'm asking a bit of a set-up question, but um, where you know, you've know you been able to literally say, actually, I, I, I've been through something really similar. Um, that's opened up doors for you to actually care and look after people. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what has been so wonderful about it as far as I'm concerned, yeah. despite the undeniable extreme yeah. trauma, which yeah. uh, I'm never away from and, and had to revisit so strongly in writing that autobiography that you have before you, yep. whose title is Driven. And I have been driven quite sincerely. I've been driven with a passion uh, to be able to help others from my background get through yes. uh, what I've been getting through yep. uh, for a lifetime. Yeah, exactly right. Um, one of the things that um, I'm fascinated in there is that, um, and we, we talked about it too, that there was a lot of abuse that occurred from males in your world. Um, it was um, your father there, stepfather. There was lots of beatings that occurred constantly. Um, stepbrothers that were yes. around were the same thing. Um, and even from that perspective of, it was a number of years, you literally slept in sort of a, basically almost a dog kennel-like in the backyard where yeah, you yeah, also... A vehicle trailer. Yeah, yeah, vehicle trailer, which is where that sexual abuse did occur two quite years. often. For two years. Yeah. Age eight to ten. Yeah, that's right. And, and continued past that, and that's very interesting. Uh, I don't remember it past then, and I sh mm. uh, in actual fact. But my sisters uh, very recently told me that they witnessed some of that mm. uh, past age ten, yeah. uh, which is very yeah. interesting. So here you are, um, not just being abused physically, sexually, you're being <laughs> isolated out as you go too. And yet, despite all of this, um, a few years later, you found the fact that you were able to start working with others who, who did start giving a few of those, hey, I'm actually going to believe in you. I'm actually going to help you. And, and you were able to actually trust them with that. That's the thing I'm quite fascinated by. How did you work through the idea of, okay, there's another male figure and they are actually believing in me? Was it something that was automatic that you just went, oh, thank goodness that they are? Or was there so much skepticism that you had to work through to actually trust somebody else who might even be believing in you for good reasons? Look, there've been so many, there were so many unwitting mentors yeah. in my life. And I think I owe it to the first one who probably, um, set the way for, paved the way for subsequent ones, which because they were, well, entirely males, I would have been very suspicious of and dubious of. Yes. But the first one uh, was a business proprietor who I had been shoplifting from for a considerable period of time. Uh, and in those days of corporal punishment, um, when I was caught finally, a uh, firm hand was placed on one of my shoulders and uh, I would have expected it me to be savagely wheeled around and perhaps, perhaps belted around the ears or yes. given a kick or two in the behind and worse than that, dragged home yeah. to my stepfather particularly. Instead of that, I was gently wheeled around uh, to look into the, to the eyes and upon the face of 
amazingly understanding shop proprietor who asked me how long I've been doing this. And well, I fessed up pretty, pretty readily, I'm, I must tell you. Uh, but you know what he said to me? Uh-huh. He said, son, you're good. First time anybody had told me I was good at anything for doing wrong. Yeah. And then he said, son, look, you're not on this planet to take from people. You know, we, we are here to give. Mm. Uh, he didn't say it's more blessed to give than receive. Yes. Uh, anything spiritual, overtly, uh, but there was just something different about him. Uh, his incredible understanding. He probably knew my background in a small country town yeah. uh, or in a small rural town. And so I'm sure that was the the first seed sown. He said, look, you know, you know, promise me I, you won't steal You'll endeavour to give where you can. Um, and we shook hands. He said, look, uh, you promise that. I promise uh, I won't tell anybody about this. And he didn't and I didn't again. And so that was the first seed, undoubtedly, yeah. uh, from a, definitely an unwitting mentor, but an incredible yeah. mentor in my life yeah. who told me I was good and, and in fact, cunning and, and, yes. <laughs> yes. and uh, intelligent for yeah. doing wrong. Uh, what year were we talking about here? Uh, we, we, we're, we're talking about uh, 52, 1952. 1952. Um, we're going to be back with uh, Bill in just a couple of moments' time. He's the author of this book, Driven. It's his story, Bill Sutcliffe's story. And we're going to um, keep going on from this moment, from a, a, a boy who we've, we've said is abused in so many ways. I mean, one of the things we didn't even talk about is the, the lashings and the beatings that he had, and then his own uh, stepfather and, and, and brother rubbing, literally rubbing salt into wounds. Um, it was horrifying and horrific what we were going through. So going from that, having one person who has believed in and then the journey that that has taken to where Bill is today um, and some remarkable life change um, and what he puts that and who he puts that down to. We're going to talk about that next here on 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton and a most remarkable guest uh, this evening. It's wonderful to be able to have a chat to Bill Sutcliffe. He is the author of the new book, Driven. It's his autobiography. Uh, and we've just been talking a, a little bit in this last one. We want to talk a bit more of it now as well. The byline underneath here is when you realize someone else thinks you have potential, you'll start believing it yourself. We talked about that first mentor amidst all of this um, horrendous abuse that no child should even have one instance of, let alone countless times each week that was occurring for you up until that age of 10 and then even a bit beyond too, Bill. Um, let's talk that through. There was other people who started over time starting believing in you, um, whether they were helping you work on the farm, whether they suddenly started seeing in you, actually, you've got a bit of a, an athletic ability as well, whether it be footy or boxing or things like that. Um, what did that start doing in you as more and more people started seeing something uh, beyond what you'd just been told um, and experienced as you, you lived through that early part of your life? Well, building, certainly building up confidence mm-hmm. and self-esteem uh, and belief that perhaps perhaps there was a future. Did that allow you to then take a little bit more steps into that believing yourself and so therefore you could start exploring it? I, you know, I think of the boxing story that is in here too and, and clearly the confidence that you got once you realised well, actually, I, I'm pretty good at this, um, uh, as you went through. was Did it start translating to all areas in your life immediately? Well, no, it didn't. In fact, it was a bit misguided as, as 
positive as it was so far as it could be, that is, battering people's brains out, (laughs) endeavouring to to deal with your anger. Yes. Uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I was a local policeman for that who, again, knowing my background, uh, put me in the boxing ring uh, to try and tame that. Uh, it, It worked so far. Yep. Uh, but there's no question that behind the scenes of all of this, with the seeds that were being sown by other mentors along the way as well, and some of those were, were absolutely physical, and of course many stories are not in yes. Driven, uh, but one was of an alcoholic former circus strongman who uh, was at the regular drinking parties. He was a... He was a uh, his nickname was Powder Monkey Jimmy, and who was explosives man at a local quarry? You know what a powder monkey is, Clayton? No, no, I'm, I'm unsure. I, I read the name. I thought it was very impressive, but I wasn't <laughs> sure. An explosive man. Yes, great. But using powder yes. for explosives. He was using sticks of gelignite. And he, due to the trust that Mr. McWhirter, who was a businessman who first sowed the seed uh, that I'd been shoplifting from in my life, uh, Powder Monkey Jimmy, whilst others were getting blind drunk, and he was too, around his campfire outside the quarry where he was the explosives man in, in uh, my hometown of Witch- then Witchy Proof, King of the Mountain area, Yes, if any are familiar with that. He started to sow different seeds into my life and, and incredible sayings which <laughs> prevented me taking my own life on a, mm. on a couple of occasions. Um, as as did the seed sown by Mr. McQuirter, yeah. I might add. Yeah. But he taught me, he taught me, Powder Monkey Jimmy taught me strong man stunts um, that ultimately uh, were to be amendous, immense help in prison work. Yes. Um, with blo- Alongside of blokes who were very physical. Yes. And he taught me all sorts of tricks, which I can't demonstrate on yes, radio. Sure. <laughs> I'm still the world champion uh, China's Chinese wrestling. Oh, wow. <laughs> in my opinion. Yes, yes, fair enough. <laughs> I might, might tell you, but all sorts of tricks he, he taught me, yes. uh, which in, in, instilled enormous confidence in me physically yes. uh, to be alongside of prisoners, particularly. You know, I'd, I've been visiting prisons yeah. since from 65 to 2006 yeah. um, in a number of different roles with Prison Fellowship International. Yes. Uh, that's great. Field director and state director of prisons, and as a advisor to the minister on prisons and official visitor, allowed to roam around day or night um, into prison cells alone uh, across all Victorian prisons, and to hear the complaints of both prisoners and prison officers, and probably one of the few, if not the only, outsider to play pr- football, AFL in the prison football team mm-hmm. at age 48. Oh, I was still playing in the prison football team up at up at Ararat. I had some phenomenal experiences there. Yes. But some of the physical stuff that uh, Powder Monkey yes. Jimmy instilled in me with incredibly powerful uh, proverbs such as, you're no one superior but anyone's equal. Yes. And that was amazing. You know, that certainly did start to sow real seeds of, wow, you yeah. know, uh, could this be one day? Um, I didn't have sufficient resources in my life for that to occur, I might say. Yes. 
uh, for that to, to last because sport uh, was a false god to me. Uh, yes. It was like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Yep. You know, I would want to play one sport and I cycled competitively first on the track quite successfully. Not long distance, which is interesting. I then became a long distance runner. Yes. But on the bike, I, I, I couldn't sustain it. Uh, boxed, yeah. weightlifted. I was due to contend a state title for weightlifting in Queensland uh, before becoming a Christian. And then yes. lifetime of ultramarathon running, uh, which was a mecca for me. Yes. Uh, uh, what, what I love about all of this is that there's this aspect of um, this this physical aspect of who you are mixed with the understanding of the emotional and the mental and then the spiritual together. Like it, it, it comes together in these um, remarkable ways that you are so open and honest about. I'm going to be very unfair because I'm going to skip through about half of the book in a couple of sentences as we go. You're, uh, I'm sure people will enjoy reading the love story that is you and Bev as you got together. I certainly oh. enjoyed that as well. But let's fast forward a little bit in this story too where um, after some of these people pouring into your life, you, you had enough confidence to go on a, a bit of a road trip um, ended up in Queensland, um, and that is where you met Bev. It was also after a time where you realized and understood that actually some ex- these experiences with God, it was very up and down. Um, I know I would imagine fairly for most people saying, well, how did all this stuff happen to my mom and to me and everything else in childhood? Could there really be a God? You went through all of that, but you eventually got to a point where you cried out to God, um, and Jesus changed you even from the very next day where you realized you were less aggressive to everybody. You weren't cracking it all the time, all these sorts of things. And from that moment on, not only did you and Bev end up, um, you know, affirming your relationship and then getting married and having some, you know, remarkable family, um, but from that moment on, things changed as well. That suddenly, um, it seems like to me anyway, Bill, I'm not sure if this is how you look at it, that you went from being the one that people were mentoring to saying, I want to give of myself so that others can know that there's some hope. And um, and as much as I'm sure you're learning in those early days, was that the way you, you thought and looked at life? Absolutely. Uh, after my dramatic uh, coming to coming to Jesus, who I didn't believe in, yeah. although by this stage I had been a very bitter atheist, um, was now an agnostic yeah. in reality, uh, in my last boxing bout, I prayed selfishly. I, the, the family I'd been living with on a farm uh, encouraged me to go to church and pray, disillusioned with the church going, but, but selfishly prayed that I'd win my last bout, um, which was an exhibition bout with a guy who was probably over the hill, but he was still far too good for me yeah. at that stage that night because I didn't realise I really had my prayer answered uh, uh, to finish there and to get on the road that have the idea of travelling around Australia we drove into this southwest Queensland town and encountered this group of teenagers, Christian teenagers one of whom is now my wife Bev of 55 years, my ultimate absolute hero yeah. who this, my driven is dedicated to mm-hmm. and not I just couldn't get around this, uh, this the difference between the, uh, this group of young teenagers and others I had known and, and Bev uh, arranged the 21st birthday party for me, first birthday party I could ever recall having. Yes. And it was during the course of that evening. Uh, I was the life of the party externally, but internally I was in turmoil. These words kept coming to me. I thought I was going mad. I you know, heard about people hearing voices. And I thought I was going crazy. 
Uh, no words I later discovered from the Bible. You know, don't, don't get sidetracked. Then you'll go after things which can't really satisfy you. And Penny Drop later was referring to, again, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of chasing. Due to contest the state title for weightlifting just after this, 5th of April, 1964. And party finished about half past 11 or something. Tried to get to sleep. Couldn't. I had a vision of this person who claimed he was he was Jesus. And <laughs> I argued the toss with him Yeah. Uh, in a few uh, non-choice words, I must say. Yes. Particularly when he hit the nail right on the head and said, Bill, look, you know, terrific to see you. Um, enjoying real family for the first time, this group of wonderful young Christian teenagers. Uh, but, uh, and to see you beginning to get confidence in sport and other areas, but they'll never work, Bill, finally. They'll never work. They're not a deep enough resource. Mm. I don't think that word was used, but nevertheless, yep. they'll never work um, because you've got one stumbling block for all this. You've got a blockage. Uh, and it's your non-forgiveness, and wow, that fired me up, I can tell you. You've got to forgive your abusers. And, wow. Uh, in no uncertain terms, I, I laid on line to this person. I didn't believe, oh, you've got to be kidding. Da, 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 da. You know, you what? What? Uh, the way I've been treated and others get treated by abusers, you've got to be kidding. And he said, Bill, it's not about them, it's about you. Mm. Uh, is not forgiving helping you? You're in a good place, etc. And uh, I knew uh, this person I didn't believe in uh, was right, mm. but I couldn't get around his just authoritiveness. And I'm not sure how to describe what he represented, but it's just yeah. so uh, authoritative, you know, as if he knew everything about me yep. that there had ever been. And uh, finally, I issued a challenge. I said, Look, uh, if you're real, prove yourself. You know, you say you're Jesus, well, then prove yourself. And I, I went to sleep, and I, uh, probably for the you know best sleep I could ever recall having, and, and did wake up the following morning. This was a Sunday, 5th of April. Yeah. My actual birthday was, party was the yeah. Saturday before, the night before, to go to work in the sawmill, and the person pulling the timber away from me, uh, at the end of the day, said, what's the matter with you, Bill? I said, what are you talking about? And he said... <laughs> You haven't fly, flown off the handle. You haven't even lost your cool all day. I <laughs> uh, haven't even sworn. Yeah. And uh, then the penny dropped. I still didn't understand what had occurred, but I knew something profound. Yeah. I, I was an incredible peace and felt a, I couldn't believe that I actually felt pity mm. and love. That they blew me away from my abusers. Yeah. Uh, and I discussed it with the manager of the sawmill who was a, Christian, Sam Fletcher, and he said, Bill, you've been born again. I said, what? Born again, what? And, uh, he said, well, Jesus said, you you know, you need a, you've got to have a deeper life, uh, yeah. real life, and this is, a, you know, the life of his spirit, the spirit of Jesus in you. Um, that's real life, and that's yeah. that's what you've needed and what you've got. Welcome to the family. And so it was just, oh, you know, just incredible, incredible experience. It, it's remarkable, isn't it? That and, and maybe if you're listening, you're thinking, uh, you know, you've gone through some tough stuff as well. That's just, that's that's crazy. That 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 actually someone could forgive all of those people who had a, a, abused, but through uh, the strength of that, God filled you in that way, Bill, and changed 
who you were inside and uh, that is available to everybody and I, I suppose I just want to take a moment um, before we come back with Bill in a couple of minutes time just to say hey look if you just need to talk that through with someone or, or you'd like to say look I'd like to explore a bit more about who Jesus is and, and this guy who Bill's talking about um, this God who, who might change my life um, please call our care line uh, 95832273 we've got volunteers who are just there just to answer questions chat with you uh, even pray with you if that's what you'd like, but they're not going to force any of that on you. 9583-CARE, if you use the letter pad on the phone, 9583-2273. We are going to be back with uh, Bill in just a couple of minutes' time and find out what happened because of that remarkable uh, ability that he had to forgive and God changing his life, uh, what has happened since then and the countless lives who have been impacted for the positive because Bill was willing to forgive. That's on the way next here on 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton, and I hope you are enjoying as much as I am having uh, this chat with Bill Sutcliffe. He's the author of his own autobiography called Driven. And as Bill mentioned a bit earlier on, certainly something that has been the case for him in his life, uh, Driven. And ultimately, uh, Bill, as we've been talking about, a a remarkable change in your life where God empowered you uh, to be able to forgive and and, uh, move on through a whole lot of previous abuse that you'd had, but also driven to make a change in other people's worlds. Um, You've ended up involved in a whole host of various things from um, city missions, both in Melbourne, Geelong, and other places, sorry, Melbourne, yes, and and Ballarat, I should say, and other places around uh, the country, to prison fellowship for a long time, for your own ministry that you've been involved in as well and caring for, for others. Um, take us through, I suppose, the, the change in your life. How, how would you describe that moment of saying, actually, the rest of my life's actually about caring for others? Because it certainly seems like that's what you've said. Um, is that what you said to yourself? Well, it was pretty simple, Clayton. The transaction that, that, not so much a transaction, but a desire, being driven. There's no question about it. In fact, uh, Jack Evans, who was a Presbyterian home missionary in Bev's hometown, who was taking a Bible discussion group for about 12, almost 12 disciples of teenagers, some from Anglican Church and other places, uh, at the home of the manager of the sawmill that I worked each, each Sunday afternoon. And when I became a Christian, he was a... Jack Evans, he was a former Second World War fighter pilot uh, who'd come, become a Christian late in life himself. And he was my sort of bloke, you know, rugged and authentic and down to earth yeah. uh, in his teaching. And he asked me a simple question, Bill, uh, this is incredible. You know what the Lord has done uh, in your life and just like <laughs> the Apostle Paul or Saul as he was then, uh, uh, meeting you personally in a, in a vision and, and uh, getting hold of your life. And what do you think from here on? Uh, and uh, an instant answer for me was, Jack, I... I just want to go back to the people of my background. Firstly, uh, my abusers, mm. my stepbrother. Uh, uh, my stepfather was dying of cancer at the stage, and, and in fact, uh, he died before I could uh, get to see him. But nevertheless, I was able to assure him in writing of my forgiveness. Uh, and so that was it simply for me, from that point on, a deep and absolute desire uh, to go back to the people of my background and share with them firstly, not uncommon with those who, you know, Andrew and others who became Christians in, 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 in the first yeah. the group of disciples under Jesus who went home you know, yep. to their brothers yep. and brought them to Jesus as yes. well. Uh, and so that, 
And Jack and his wife Ollie had been through the Melbourne Bible Institute, became Christians in, in later life, and uh, they had a similar desire just to make up for lost time in their lives and, and see what help they could do, give. And uh, so that was my desire, and then to get a bit of training uh, towards doing that perhaps more more effectively. Yep. And hence, uh, yeah. straight into straight into ministry really from. Yeah. Uh, I this occurred on the fifth of April, '64. Uh, became a Christian. I was accepted into the Melbourne Bible Institute. I tell you, I had to learn English before I could learn Greek. My yes, wife yes. was a great teacher. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend then, Bev, yes. now wife, was a great teacher. Uh, yeah, I had to get them string, be able to string my P's and Q's together yes. a little bit better to go go into Bible college. Uh, but my work experience there was in Pentridge Prison, so I was, you know, I was in heaven as far as yeah. my background uh, was concerned already. So, yeah. how many over the years do you reckon pres- prison visits you've actually gone and done? Like, are we talking? Hundreds, thousands, ten thousands. What do you reckon, roughly? Oh, hun- hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Look, I had a prison round of at one stage of all the prisons in in Victoria. Yeah, well, I think there were thirteen at that stage. Yeah. So weekly, that that many. Yeah, well, uh, that's and incredible. sometimes extra ones to boot if there's some a special event I need yeah. to go for, uh, something to do. And God seemed to um, for the rest of your ministry in that sense, and I'm assuming even now to today uh, too, Bill, it seemed to put you in places where those who did have similar backgrounds to you, not just your family, but now others would um, be able to relate to you. People who were either doing it tough or had been abused themselves or finding themselves on the wrong side of the road, uh, the wrong side of the track sort of idea. Um, It seemed to be that uh, that was what was happening, that people were coming or you were being guided to be with them. Is that a, a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes not in the easiest of terms, I might tell you. Yeah. Uh, one particular prisoner who later uh, became a Christian, I represented a, a, an abuser too. Uh, I was playing in the Ararat footy team at 48. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I was playing in the centre, and this guy and he's running rings around me. And uh, but every time he got near me, instead of going for the ball, he went for me. He smashed my teeth and broke my ribs, and over the mm. course of a number of games, in fact, they had to shift him out of prison. Finally, um, for his own sake, even his own teammates mm. that were very serious about wanting to do him considerable harm. Uh, you know, I have to call them off and say, "Come on, mate, let my, you know I can handle this myself." But uh, no, no, uh, Bill. He, He's pretty nasty feet. Yeah. Anyway, I had to follow him to another prison. I had to transfer him out of prison. Wow. Met him there, made a couple of attempts. And uh, finally, uh, we were reconciled and, and he became a Christian afterwards. Uh, so there were there were people, and he, of course, I represented, he, he was a victim of institutionalised abuse mm. uh, by a priest. And, of course, um, I represented one. And yes. So I, I didn't blame him for a moment when I found out. Um but anyway, that, that but many instances yeah, like yeah. that where the Lord did just bring people across my path uh, from my own background. And of course, the, the wonderful thing is, and it's easy to say this in retrospect, um, but it's true along the way as I look at it. Um, Darren um, Alcott, Alcott, what's it? Uh, yeah, Dylan Alcott, yep. Dylan. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Our uh, Paralympic 
said yeah. upon his retirement, the best thing ever happened to me with my disability. Mm. Now, I don't think I consider myself to ever be disabled just because yeah. I'm one-eyed long supporter, literally. Yes. But nevertheless, yeah. um, I'd no sooner arrived in Ballarat at 72 than a well-meaning lady, Christian lady, uh, visited me and, and said, oh, Bill, God sent me to, to tell you that if you really believed in, in me, uh, I'd give you a new eye. And you wouldn't need a pathetic eye. Mm. And uh, I was a bit surprised by that because I hadn't thought about it, to tell you the truth. I had been enjoying the ride with my eye yeah. and how God had used it. I hadn't even thought about it, but I did. After a bit of an irony that she's wearing glasses and tripped on her veranda she's going out. There's <laughs> the pot calling the kettle black here. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's another story. Uh, but I thought of the way, wonderful way God had used my eye because... Um, <laughs> Most guys in prison I was working alongside of or playing pool with or playing footy with um, didn't know I had an artificial eye. Yes. So I used to bet them a, a pack of smokes. Didn't smoke them, I tell you, but yeah. that was a currency in prison. I yes. said, i tell you what, bloke, knowing I couldn't lose, yes, right. I bet you a packet I can chew on my eye. Yeah. <laughs> well, they look at me and say, oh, yeah, sure. We've seen blokes with tongues long enough to, <laughs> to lick their yeah, eye, yeah. eyebrow, but they've had chewing on it. So I whip out my artificial eye and chew on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was priceless to see. Yes, I'd reckon. But then I say, oh, I know I was, I was a mongrel for taking you down. I'm sorry about that. But I tell you what, chance to get your packet back, double or nothing, I can chew on my other eye. <laughs> and now I'd have them. Yeah. Oh, there's no way known. <laughs> he, he's feeling bad that he's taking us down. So I'd take out my dentures and chew on my other eye. <laughs> Anyway, so um, and it genuinely has been humour. Yeah. Uh, amazingly, that God has sustained me through even going back uh, to when I was being badly abused. Yep. Um, I had dreams of, of known as a birdman in early life. I had a dream of this this uh, hawk that would dive bomb my abusers as I were going to the outside toilet and poop over them, yeah. and I'd wake myself up laughing in my sleep, and yeah, it was. Right. One of the things that God used to sustain me was humour. Yeah, and if you look true. back at early Australia, uh, in some of the outback farmers and others are doing it very hard, and even today, yep. he still uses humour often to yes. speak through it to say, hey, you know, yeah, that's right. you can laugh at this and you can get through it perhaps in a, in a lighter way. Yeah. Yes. Um, I want to ask you a question, which is sort of a little bit related to what you talked about in regards to the physical um, aspect of it, that you've gone, well, you know, this, this, the fact that you didn't have an eye and you, you've got a prosthetic eye has actually opened opportunities with that. Um, I don't know how to frame this correctly, so please forgive me as I go through, but the life that you lived and all of that abuse of what occurred has seemed to be able to be used for good. Now, I don't know if it's ever fair to say, um, would you go and change that if you could? I, I don't think that's a fair question to ask, but um, how do you balance out, I suppose, the good that has occurred because of the life of so much pain and hurt that you had to go through. Um, I don't think is it worth it is a fair question either, but I think you're sort of trying to grasp what I'm trying to ask here is that um, how, do you, how do you look at that early part with now the fact that you've been able to have so much good uh, through and because of the known experiences you've had? Oh, well, look, I do. Uh, in the economy of the scale of time, with God, and you know, it maybe seemed flippant even to say this. You know, a day, uh, you know, with us a thousand years with the Lord. So it's yep. time is since is immaterial, and uh, even though, and you know, I lost a sister early in life, and 
hardly had started to live and, and died, mm. uh, but scripturally went to heaven unquestionably, um, and has been living a rich and wonderful carefree life ever since, and, yeah. and making an enormous contribution up there, uh, which unquestionably is made toward those down here. So that's how I would rationalise it, that there is a purpose. In fact, one of my favourite uh, practical Bible verses is Romans 8, 28, which says, everything works together for good. Mm. Well, to those who love God, but even overall, in the providence of God, and this is where prayer comes in as being such a, a powerful element in all of this. What I discovered, um, not until age 25, when I was appointed as a very young bloke, relatively newly married, um, to be the missioner, as we were known then, or manager of the Melbourne City Mission drop-in centre in North Melbourne, an aunt I didn't know existed uh, wrote me a letter and said, Bill, I'm just overwhelmed. There was an art article, I think, in New Life News, no, in the Age newspaper, in fact, as well as New Life newspaper, on uh, my appointment there and my background. And I said, Bill, I just, you know, I'm just overwhelmed. <laughs> well, the realisation that you're alive, I've been praying for you mm. since you were born. Didn't know where you were, what had happened to you. Wow. Um, and so that was the first thing, just a realisation that had been prayed. And all along the way, I've discovered this has been the case, um, that people behind the scenes, and I can't emphasise this enough to, you know, to anyone listening, uh, and particularly those who, who believe in prayer, uh, of its importance. Uh, it sustained me incredibly. One quick instance of, of uh, its power, which proves that the most important people are not the upfront people necessarily, you know, and the Bible says a bit about that. It likens the importance of people to be like the organs of a body. It's not the seen parts the most important, not the head. Mm. You know, I'm an ordained minister myself, but it's not the ordained ministers necessarily. It's those behind the scene, mm. the prayers. Yeah. Baxter Village, um, a Baptist um, retirement home, incredible group of prayers there during my prison work. And just one instance proves this. I went into prison cell one day and I did what I'd never, ever done in prison work before, and that was get down to my knees and close my eyes. Never did it. Mm. Um, and showering, and I always chose to shower with prisoners when I'm in the footy field with them. Mm -hmm. uh, go to their toilet rather than the officer's mess. Yep. Always <laughs> not exposing my back deliberately yes. or closing my eyes in prayer if I was... If I, even if, I was, if somebody asked me to pray for them in their prison cell. This time, um, I was compelled to ask this guy, oh, look, could I pray for you? He's telling me about uh, the immense need of his family outside. I said, look, can I pray? Would you mind if I said a little prayer for you? And, he said, and I got down to my knees to pray, um, was about to close my eyes, and I was reminded of a story that Chuck Colson, founder of Prison Fellowship, told about a guy who'd been involved in a drug cartel and, finished up in prison, drug dealing, and the cartel, a cartel were concerned that he was going to give them up and, and, and name other people who were involved in the cartel. So they got somebody to deliberately commit a crime mm -hmm. to finish up in prison alongside of this bloke. Then, worse than that, to pretend he was a Christian, mm -hmm. 
enough for this guy who had become a Christian, this guy who'd been in this drug cartel, would get down his knees and would close his eyes. Wow. And he, that all occurred. And this guy who sent in to kill him knifed him. He didn't die, fortunately. But Chuck Colson wrote about this in his book, Life Sentence. And I was, <laughs> I was prompted to, to tell this story to this bloke yeah. in his cell. Uh, he went white as a sheet. He put his hand under the mattress, pulled out a homemade knife, and he said, Bill, that was meant for you. He became a Christian. Uh, after that, I had a phone call from Baxter, a Baptist uh, village, and yeah. one of the prayer warriors there, a very senior citizen, said, Bill, where were you such and such a time? I said, this is where I was, and you saved my life. Um, your prayers. And Bev, many a time, yeah. uh, has been prompted all hours of day and night to pray for me under similar circumstances just when something has been about to occur, including uh, about to run into a tree one night uh, at Dalesford and uh, mm. she was prompted, woken up. Mm. No, just alert to be obedient to the Lord, to yeah. pray. And these people behind the scenes have the, the most powerful purpose. Yes. Uh, not the upfront ones who get all the applaudits, uh, but like the, the important unseen organs in our body, the heart and the kidneys, etc. They're the ones that keep us alive. Absolutely. Um, Bill, we've there's so much we haven't talked about and we won't get to. I'm sure people will enjoy reading it as they go through your book, Driven. But, um, you know, we, we said around the fact that um, you've done ultramarathons and, and realistically as well, I think you've done that in life. Uh, you have continued to go. You've continued to be driven, as the book says, um, and you have this beating heart, which has so come out for us now as well. Um, final word, um, if somebody is um, going through some something tough, uh, whether it be um, like childhood or those that you've seen in prison or wherever it might be, um, and they've been hearing you talking about, all right, this God who does some change and some life work, um, you know, in 30 seconds or so, what would your encouragement be to them if they're thinking, maybe I should look into something like this? Well, do what I did. There's a verse in the book of Malachi which says, prove me, put me to the test. Uh, I did. It's like, Lord, you know, I don't know whether you're real or not, but I'm desperate. Nothing else has worked. Prove yourself. Prove me, um, the Lord says in Malachi, and see if I won't pour out so much blessing there won't be room enough for you to receive. And to me, you know, I'm turning 80 shortly, um, and I feel like... Um, Caleb, one of my Bible heroes of old, who said it at 85, I'm as strong uh, today as I was at 40. Um, God has proved himself over and over and over, thousands of times, that he won't be offended. Um, if you say, look, you know, what adjectives you use even to him and say, well, you know, you haven't proved yourself too much so far, well, Put him to the test and, and really take praying seriously or get others uh, involved, such as I've been privileged to have in my life. Say, look, you know, please, uh, would you pray for me and, and see what happens? Yes. And we'll give a reminder of that, Keelan, again, who those people right now who are volunteering their time to just be there with you. If you wanted to ask that or have be prayed for as well, you can give them a call, 9583-2273 or 9583-CARE on the letter pad of your phone. 
Um, Bill, we wish you all the best with this book, Driven, that um, not only uh, would it have been something that is a blessing to you as you put it out there for people, but that so many people would be inspired to walk that life of great purpose, which I think uh, you can't help but do as you go through this book. And it's been wonderful to spend a bit of your time, bit of time with you today as well. Thank you so much. Good to meet you too, Clayton, and bless you and this great work here at The Light. Thank you so much. Uh, the author of the book, Driven, Bill Sutcliffe, my guest here on 89.9 The Light.